Hi folks, my name is Chris Ridge, Director of My Prosperity and welcome to another awesome episode of The Wow Crowd. Now, at a time when public sentiment towards politicians seems to be at an all-time low, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce one of the genuinely great blokes to have ever graced the hallways of Parliament House in Canberra. And I'm talking about none other than Bruce Bilson. Bruce started his career in federal politics in 1996 as member for the seat of Dunkley. And from 2004, was involved in a number of key portfolios, including as Minister of Veteran Affairs under the Howard government. Uh, he also oversaw the broadband communications and digital economy portfolio in the shadow ministry following the 2007 election defeat to Labor. And then ultimately, became Federal Minister for Small Business after the Liberals won back office in 2013, a portfolio that he held up until late 2015 when he left politics. Since then, uh, Bruce has pursued many active advisory and board roles in the not-for-profit and business sector. And most recently, which is what we're here to talk to him about, he superseded Kate Carnell as Small Business Ombudsman in Australia at arguably a very important time for the sector. So, Bruce, thank you so much for giving up some of your time and what I'm sure is a very busy schedule, and welcome to the WOW Crowd. Chris, it's great to be with you and the WOW Crowd. Is, it's, uh, it is an important time, and, uh, you know, I'm all about uh, getting wind in the sail of small business and family enterprises, and whilst it's not my gift to, uh, to uh, ensure that a business succeeds, it is my purpose to make sure if there's any headwinds and obstacles that are in the road that we get those out of the road and energise enterprise. So exciting time, sir. Yeah. Well, Bruce, you mentioned the word purpose, and I want to start by delving into your personal story. As I understand that before you pursued life and politics, you're actually involved in some capacity in small business. So can you tell us about your experience from a personal standpoint of being in and around small business and what you learned firsthand? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I obviously as a, as a young family, a young person in a family that wasn't uh, blessed with abundant cash, there was always, uh, uh, you know, enterprising ideas, uh, you know, started very young, uh, newspaper delivery and all those sorts of things, all the stuff you do in milk bars. My mum was a direct selling agent for Avon and, you know, we were sort of surrounded by that and uh, I really enjoyed the self-starting nature of it. Uh, you know, a chance to map your own course. And I loved all that. Uh, and I also found a very early satisfaction out of being helpful to others and doing worthwhile things for the air I suck in. So it was quite an interesting time. I ended up uh, becoming a city manager in local government and very much focused on local economic activities. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, some consultancy work, uh, um, you know, even a, a bit of retailing. My The bodacious Mrs. Bilson and I had a, uh, a, a gift wares and uh, art gallery business. I, you know, had a number of different consultancy businesses. And uh, I suppose more recently, uh, founding director in uh, Judo Bank and SME Lender and, and yeah. other business interests. So it's sort of been, um, you know, I, I suppose this whole opportunity for livelihoods as a stepping stone to improve people's quality of life has been, you know, running through my veins. So I find myself in a quite a natural habitat, if I could use that term, uh, doing the work I'm doing today. You're obviously back in the limelight now uh, as Small Business Ombudsman. And what, I mean, for you personally, what was the motivation to take on that role? Is it, is it the passion for small business or is it just the timing? No, it, it's the passion. I mean, uh, small business is, is a real uh, key motivator for me. It animates me. It excites me. It's, uh, it's really quite purposeful. And, uh, you know, I've always been a, a person of purpose, uh, more so than profit. Um, you know, my 
wife's occasionally reminded me that that's lovely, but does it have to hurt so much uh, financially? But um, no, I, I've, I'm, I'm really driven by being a purposeful contributor and being of support and an ally uh, to people who are having a red hot go, uh, creating livelihoods for themselves and, and others and adding so much to our community. I want to be their best advocate. I aim to be a great ally for that, that entrepreneurial endeavor. And even when I left public life, having had that as a common theme right throughout 20 years of elected office, seven elections, and thankfully none of them lost, I, I went out on my own, which was quite unusual, but largely because my family, uh, whilst I was the volunteer, they were the conscripts. And it's a, it's a punishing life on family, particularly when you're a cabinet minister. And so, you know, I was home with them, but I still had this passion burning in me. So my, my, my post-political life, that uh, was still all about small business and entrepreneurship. My work with Deakin University, I mentioned earlier the, the judo bank effort to give a, uh, the SMEs a dedicated uh, relationship-centric banking experience. Um, the work I did in my own consultancy businesses and shares I had in, in, in turnaround businesses that we, uh, you know, that, that very much excited me. And even in the industry association space, trying to bring a, bring a coherent voice to good policy so that you know we, we've got a chance to get the wind in the sails of small business not in their face so that that was sort of that's been running through and now here i am in uh, in a role that i'd created uh, trying to make sure across across the commonwealth small business people and and insights to support their success are very much front of mind and being heard by policymakers and decision makers well, well let's talk about that because you've come into the role at a crucial time of the sector i mean there's a you know, trying to recover from arguably the greatest economic shock in the history of a nation due to COVID-19. I mean, a couple of questions. How do you think the sector is performing post-JobKeeper and what are some of your key priorities going forward? Yeah, look, I think the sector overall has, has and we, we need to celebrate them. What extraordinary resilience, you know, commitment, passion and, and adaptiveness that we've seen across the small business and family enterprise sector. Let's be frank, some have had a really good pandemic, Chris, uh, some have done quite well. They've been well placed. They've had strong customer relationships. That had, you know, value propositions that really resonated with consumers. And consumers changed over this time. I reckon they got a little more uh, appreciative of the crucial role small businesses play as part of a community fabric, where they're actually looking at that codependency in the local economy. That if they put some of their hard-earned money into local businesses, that generated livelihood opportunities and vitalities for their community as much as it did for those business entrepreneurs that were leading that work. So that's been a good story. Um, and, and, and a number have, you know, quite a significant proportion have done quite well throughout the pandemic. And when you see GST receipts and things like that as proxies for economic activity, a number of sectors have fared quite well and some have done very well. There's others where there's some green shoots returning. You know, we're getting back to normal patterns of, cons uh, of consumption, economic behaviour, supply chains are starting to work again, and they've been able to, to adjust throughout that period and, and are seeing some, some good prospects ahead and business conditions that are, are to their liking. Then there's the other group. The, 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 the other group I would say are recovery impaired, largely because, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, in business, there's one un undeniable truth. There is no substitute for customers. 
you know, and then there are recovery impaired sectors where getting access to their customers is still a real challenge, whether it's the international uh, tourism market that businesses are dependent on, whether it's certain events, um, activities, functions, concerts, theatre, these sorts of things are still quite challenging, but also in our CBDs, Chris, uh, you know, I'm based in Melbourne when, I, uh, when I'm not here in Canberra and uh, last few months, uh, particularly early in the new year, you could fire a cannon down some of the main streets of Canberra. That meant there's not the foot traffic. That meant for all of those office staff that normally gorge out into the streets at lunchtime, not just to go to cafes and restaurants to get a bite to eat. Of course, that's important, but that's where they might have some discretionary expenditure. That's where they might go and buy the new Nikes as part of the fitness kick, organise their health insurance, get their phone plan, book travel. These sorts of things happen as well around those population centres. And when people have found working from home is not that bad uh, and, and you know might only be coming in a couple of days a week rather than the whole week, that has an enormous impact on those businesses that are dependent on that foot traffic. And we go back to where we started. No substitute for customers, still work to be done to get customers within the reach of those businesses. Yeah, Bruce, you've always been a huge advocate of the accounting industry. Obviously, this is the audience we're talking to here. You know, at my prosperity, we've seen accounts play a crucial role in supporting yep. the small businesses over the past year. What do you say to the accountants out there about the job that they did in 2020? Oh, fantastic. I mean, I know a, a lot of accountants are dear <clears throat> friends of mine. Uh, the amount of unbilled work done to just help their clients get through the change to navigate the uncertainties, to even tap things like JobKeeper and things like that. The, you know, the webinars, the, the free advice, the navigational support, and also, also the reminder to think deeply about what the, the future looks like as trusted advisors. I think you know, the accountancy profession has, has risen magnificently during the pandemic. Um, it's been tough time because they've had clients with really insurmountable challenges and they've had clients with changing landscapes for, for their business, and they've had to change their own way of doing business. And, and that's been an enormous transformation. Now, though, it's really, we're moving into a, a different phase. Some of those, those lines of support aren't there now. So rather than combating the immediate crisis with deft tactical advice and immediate assistance, the accountants have got to, you know, they're going to play a crucial role as businesses reflect on what's next. Uh, I've tried not to use the word pivot, Chris, but I apologise. Many businesses have pivoted during the COVID uh, constrained period. Now are looking forward thinking, what do we keep about that? What we've learned about our business? What's the hybrid business model we might be thinking about for the future that takes positive learnings out of, out of where we've been during COVID and sets up that business for for future success, you know, is the is the amount of cash we hold and many found they weren't holding enough adequate? What do we do to provision for a, a possibly another lockdown and then to reactivate? What's our cost structure about? What's the market doing? You know, these are crucial and important conversations that I hope small businesses are having with their trusted advisors, their accountants, to, to, to you know, work out where they're navigating in that next phase because, uh, yeah, I don't think it'll just bounce back to where it was. It'll be a different kind of economy and accountants provide crucial aha insights, really clever insights to help people make good business decisions. 
So, I mean, that's a great message for the advice industry. And obviously, you know, you're advocating small business um, and ensuring that government policies are also small business friendly. As former federal minister for the sector, now ombudsman, I mean, what would you like to see the government do more of to support small business owners and, and, and their accountants? Yeah, look, I think the time of, of, of right-sizing regulation is, is always, always with us. Uh, we've seen examples still where the cost of compliance and, and the complexity of it is holding back, you know, innovation adjustment and frankly, taking up too much time and money of smaller enterprises because it's been thought about through the lens of big business and, and, and why I created this role, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, was my experience as a minister understanding that uh, government departments found it easier to consult with a few large businesses in a sector and not tens of thousands of small businesses to get that real granular field evidence. I try and bring that insight forward through this agency so that, you know, the easy thing in policy development isn't just go big and a small business isn't just a shrink-wrapped big business. Different challenges, different capacities, different expectations in shaping policy. So that's a key part of it. Secondly, you know, I think for us to hope and pray that we're through this uh, might be a bit naive, um, you know, to government policy that's as adaptive and responsive as we saw with that magnificent JobKeeper initiative. I mean, wow, what a, what a, what a crucial step. I mean, it's cost a bomb, but it was absolutely essential to keep a pulse in the economy. And that was crucial for lives and livelihoods. I think we might need that same sort of nimbleness uh, if we have uh, infection outbreaks that are really impacting at a, at a local level. And then I think it's about really meeting the challenge of being the best place to start and grow a business. Um, jurisdictions like Singapore, they're doing stuff I've always argued for to encourage digital engagement, to try and encourage that uptake in the use of technology, not only on back-end operations, but the way in which customers are delighted and new markets are accessed learning from disaster recovery so that responses are timely and, and right-sized. And of course, we've still got this huge challenge, Chris, about access to finance. Uh, I did what I thought was all I could do at a policy level when I was in government. I actually landed on the conclusion the only way access to finance is going to change is through a competitive pressure. And that's why I, I, I threw my lot in with, with judo and went down that pathway. Um, it's still a challenge. It, finance is the oxygen of enterprise. You deny it, you stunt growth and opportunity. You put too much out there, people go silly. How do we get it right so that, you know, enterprising men and women can get the finance they need to pursue those ambitions and really drive economic growth and recovery, which is really the primary focus here now? Yeah, well, I definitely agree. Um, well, coming back to this topic of advice, and, and I, yep. wrote, I wrote a couple of pieces about this last year, and one of those I... I commented on some observations out of other countries. You mentioned Singapore, for example. Yep. I noted in April last year, at the commencement of the pandemic, the New Zealand government, and we talk about a government here that's done a lot of innovative policy initiatives, they allocated $25 million to enable businesses to access expert advice, particularly from accountants in areas such as business continuity, cash flow, financial management, some of the things you referred to, but even health and wellbeing, which was quite, yep. quite interesting. Is that something you'd support? And what, how would you see that sort of taking shape? 
Yeah, look, I saw your advocacy about that, and I know a number of the accounting professions were also making that claim and that and that call. And, and you know, I saw considerable merit in it. Um, I know that the government, uh, well, they put resources into other things. Uh, you know, they prioritised emotional well-being and 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 mental health, mindful of the stressors that come with the big responsibility of running your own business. They put resources into that and into the accounting profession who may well be the first to know, almost the paramedics of, of, of small business person uh, mental health concerns. Uh, no one's expecting an accountant to be a clinician, but, but to recognise the signs of, of, of emotional duress and be able to handle that. They, they were good measures. The other thing too is, you know, I'd, I'd like people to see value in that relationship with their trusted advisor and see that as an ongoing alliance over time, not just something that that's critical when there's a crisis. So, you know, maybe that played into the thinking, I'm not sure, but but I still think that is a crucial thing for us as policymakers to be thinking about. How do we make sure that the best advice, the trusted advice, feeds into good decision-making for enterprising men and women, given it is a challenging environment and a big responsibility. So there's still scope there. Um, you know, I keep thinking that, you know, for this digital engagement piece, we've kind of hit a bit of a, 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 a plateau. Uh, and, and I wonder whether it's people of our vintage who may have been maybe oversold some tech solutions you know, 10 or 15 years ago, who might be a little bit wary of tech vendors and, 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 you know, and digital engagement as a way of turbocharging their business. We've got to get past that somehow. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's also, you know, perhaps a role that trusted advisors like accountants can play, not to be the tech expert, but to showcase case studies of those pathfinders that have done it, to help navigate the decisions and maybe generate the, the, the appetite to think, you know, maybe I should invest in that. So, Plenty of scope there, I think, Chris, and, uh, you know, it's an important, uh, crucial relationship, and I think there's more value in it. You, yeah, I mean, you've, you've always been a big advocate for technology, you know, having overseen the, the shadow portfolio mm. for that sector. Um, there, you mentioned, you mentioned um, accountants and their role in technology. Is, is there more that you can see? And so what you, what's your vision in, in helping them achieve, yeah. achieve well, that adopt, adoption of technology? And you talk about maybe some of the misfiring. I'm curious just to sort of drill into that. And yeah. what you do. But, but fundamentally, you're, you're a believer that technology holds the key for success in, in the SME sector? Yes, I do. I do for a couple of reasons. One, that's where the customers are going. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to be there. So if your business isn't digitally engaged, e-commerce present, good customer experience, seamless ways of delighting customers, your, your competitor will be doing that. So, so, you know, it's almost like, you know, it's important to get with that program and, and put your best foot forward. Secondly, we've seen, particularly in the small business space, overwhelmingly the small businesses in general are using apps to do back-end processes. You know, they're doing that to make sure that their highest and best use is driving and leading their business, not doing stuff routine processes. And, and you know, you're a pioneer in that, Chris. I mean, that was one of Zero's, Great, uh, great ambitions was to to take that hack work out. I mean, seventy six percent of all apps used by small business at the moment are six basic business processes: clerical stuff, business intelligence, uh, job scheduling, and, evo and invoicing, point of sale, managing customer accounts, and rostering and time tracking. Now, we we are we, we've got that. 
Um, we need more of that. And then we need to see how tech can open up new markets and new opportunities and, and delight a, a richer, broader range of customers. And that's happening as well. And, and quietly in the background, there's been this little revolution going on where, you know, 60% of small businesses are actually in the cloud without many of them even knowing it because of the platforms of MYOB, of Zero, of Intuit being cloud-based. You know, businesses are already there, not that interested in the technical machinery, but actually seeing the benefits of it. And I think we need to tell that story and extend it into other areas of business. E-invoicing, you know, surely that's got to be a great enabler for proper and timely payment of accounts. There's a great opportunity there. Cyber, we've got to get cyber into that story, along with our responsibility for the data that we hold on behalf about our customers and the like. I mean, there's a whole suite, a whole package there that can both electrify the business, simplify and smooth it out and, and have so time goes to high value tasks, but also to help us with our responsibilities, whether it's reg tech that you see in compliance areas or a phrase I've sort of pioneered, aha tech, where you get insights through your technology about your business performance vis-a-vis -vis others in your space and that that can help drive good decision-making. A lot of that, introducing it, talking about it, explaining it, getting comfortable with it, we're back to the trusted advisors. We're yeah. back to the accountants saying, have you thought about, maybe this might work for you. You're comfortable with these accounting softwares. Here's some plugins that might really, you know, give you back some time. So rather than working in your business, you're on it, on your, working on your business, and that's got to be good for enterprise success into the future as well. I couldn't agree more. And I think if you look back in the last 10 years, it's changed a lot. You know, 10 years ago, it was the IT sector providing advice to, you know, to the business sector, uh, albeit that the, the, the dollars weren't there to make sense for them to actually delve that deep. It's been the accountant industry, accounting industry yeah. that's taken on that role, but it still needs to go further. It was interesting. We, we interviewed uh, Damien Waller, uh, founder of iSelect, on the last episode, and, and he spoke about the abomination uh, that's, that's, you know, that is the technology adoption within the advice sector generally. Uh, so I think there's still some way to go, but I think that's a great message for this audience about the key role that accountants can play in really helping businesses, you know, take advantage of that. I, I have one last question, Bruce, and, and um, you know, as SME, you know, ombudsman, it's obviously your role to deal with complaints before they get to court. Uh, what, what are those problem uh, areas? And importantly, how can accountants dealing with small business help potentially nip it in the bud before it actually reaches your desk? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, we, we are, you know, tasked by the statute that I'd created when I was the minister as a having a key assistance function. Uh, as you know, I've long believed that the, uh, the justice system um, can uh, overly advantage the big, the powerful, the well-resourced, and that, uh, you know, we're something that can get a more timely, more affordable and a fair outcome that gets relationships in business uh, are sustained so people can get back to business, sort out their grievances and differences, get it resolved in a, in, a, in a just and transparent way, and then get back to business rather than have, you know, matters escalate, become subjects of litigation, multiple deferrals, you know, a, a football team of QCs up against a small business with their local solicitor saying, you know, even if you're right, we're going to string this out so you've got 
no resources left to even feed your defense of the or, or advocacy of your case. And, and by the way, if we win, we're going to hit you with this enormous cost order that's going to wipe you out anyway. I mean, that is that is not cool. That is not um, the way in which you rec respect uh, entrepreneurial endeavor and hope everyone has a chance to compete on their merit. That led into, well, what can we do about it? There's a number of codes that are in key sectors, whether it's uh, dairy, uh, oil, food and grocery, franchising, where there's a high propensity for a power imbalance between a dominant player, player and the smaller players that can sometimes mean people don't play nice. And, and, and that dominance is used in an unfair and unjust way. Those codes are there to try and keep an adult to adult relationship going rather than a parent child one. We get involved early. We offer advice on, on, on dispute resolution where the parties themselves can do that. That's always the best, most timely way. But if that starts showing some cracks and come to us, uh, we can offer some, um, some assistance in resolution, uh, oversee some mediation. And in some areas, we may even suggest an arbitration alternative if the parties are willing. Other than that, we also have people ring up saying, look, I'm at my wits end. I just don't know what to do. And we can provide some navigational help uh, to the support that's available that sometimes, Chris, can be too hard to find. And, and, you know, we try and simplify that process as well. And we work in partnership with the state small business commissioners. They are a merry band of talented individuals inspired as I am to, to make that positive contribution and to put alternative dispute resolution mechanisms in reach so that people can sort out their differences and get back to business. And that's what our objective is there. Fantastic. Well, look, Bruce, as always, it's fantastic to catch up with you, I'm sure. You know, on behalf of the audience that's watching, your, your passion and your genuine, you know, uh, belief and, and commitment to the small business sector really does come through. And I think it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the small business sector is lucky to have you in this role. So it's been fantastic to catch up with you. Uh, of course, we wish you all the best in your role as small business ombudsman. It's such an important sector in the economy and what better person to be leading that. So all the best for the future. And thanks for joining the WOW crowd. Thanks, Chris. Best wishes to you and wow crowd. And I reckon you look better without the beard, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. All right. Good on you, mate. Cheers. Wasn't it great to see the passion from Bruce, especially on the importance of small business to the Australian economy? Here today to unpack some of the key themes from Bruce's interview, is an all-star WowCrowd panel. Firstly, joining us on the WowCrowd panel is a legend in the accounting tech space, Daniel Tramontana. Tramontana, I should get that right. Chief Operating Officer of BGL. Daniel um, at BGL has been with the company for over 20 years. Uh, he's got a great passion for leadership, loves family, the occasional selfie and life. Uh, alongside BGL's founder, Ron Lesh, Daniel uh, and the BGL team have become one of the biggest tech success stories in Australia. So welcome, Daniel. Um, Thank you, Chris. Always good to be here. Great. And also joining us uh, is another big name in the accounting industry, uh, Rebecca Mihalik. Um, she's the director of an amazing multidisciplinary firm, Business Depot in Sydney, and also head of accounting for another great Australian tech success story, Practice Ignition. Rebecca brings both a tech and practitioner background, so absolutely wrapped to have her on the WellCrowd uh, panel today. Welcome, Rebecca. Chris. And last but not least, I'm delighted to have Andy Fenton, one of our favourites on the show, or various shows. Andy is an entrepreneur, speaker, musician, thrill seeker, and one of a kind finance consultant on a mission to shake up the industry. 
Uh, he's done this by empowering business owners with skills, knowledge, and capabilities to take their personal and business finances by the balls. Now, that was on your website, not my words. Um, <laughs> great to have you on the WOW crowd, Andy. Mate, it's always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, look, a warm WOW crowd to uh, all of you guys. Um, uh, now, let's get into it. Bruce applauded, literally applauded, the role of the accounting industry in supporting business over the years, but most importantly through COVID. So I want to start perhaps with you, Daniel. Um, I mean, you deal with thousands of accountants. So I'd be interested to get your take on the role of accountants and, and, and what, you know, the role that they've played over the past year. Yeah, look, it's been really interesting. Like um, when this whole thing hit, which was early April last year, there's actually a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear amongst many of the accountants and many, and in particular for their clients. And there's a lot of concern for the accounts, especially around things like cash flow and how they're going to get through this. And then, but then what ended up happening is I saw a flip take place where they were more concerned and interested in how their clients were going to get through this and how they could navigate their clients through this. Because while the accountants, yeah, that that are a significant burden to have to carry, there was also a lot of uncertainty and a lot of questions to be asked of, of the clients that they serve. And what I actually saw was that what was ended up being a really, what could have been a really negative time for many accounting firms ended up being a really positive time. Not only did they reinvent themselves from a technology perspective, but they also, I think, went to that higher level of understanding the importance of relationships and service and engagement and really being there for their clients. And whether it was unfortunate or fortunate, what I love about the accountant is that they're more than just a numbers person. They're a mentor, they're a friend, they're someone that takes the clients by the hands and navigates them through because at the end of the day, they want to see their clients do well. So there was a huge repositioning take place. And what I really saw was many accounting firms really excel during that time. And instead of retracting, they actually grew. And many of the good ones did, but they, they really did rethink their models and the importance of relationships. And this really pushed them to that edge. Yeah, that's a good point. And we're going to talk a bit about that later, but you know, Rebecca, I mean, you're, you're on the front line helping businesses at um, Business Depot. I mean, what, what did you experience? We were actually really lucky at Business Depot that we were tech and future ready effectively. So the day the pandemic hit and we were going to lockdown in Sydney, I sent everyone home. I didn't need to prepare. We were prepared. So we had that little step out front. But what we really learned and to what Daniel said as well is that value of um relationships with our clients so we've always been high tech our clients have um, been in the cloud for many many years now at least sort of 98 percent of them but sometimes when you're just busy being an accountant and busy getting the numbers and everything done you um, rely a little bit too much on the tech and you can forget the person behind COVID brought the people behind the business all the way back to the forefront of what we were talking about it wasn't just around tax avoidance, oh, sorry, tax minimization, not avoidance. I don't do avoidance. <laughs> it wasn't just about that. It was about how are we going to get through as a, uh, with your business, um, with your family, making sure that the mental health of our clients was at the forefront of our conversations as well and that they were taking care of themselves and everybody. It was this interesting time and the first time in my career that I'd really seen emotion and business just collide in a big way. And we were the ones there to try and help work through that with our clients, which is really interesting um, and really important role accountants had to play last year. Yeah, look, it's a really good point. And I'd love to get your thoughts, Andy, because if you remember, we did that, uh, that um, 
interview series where we spoke to people during lockdown and and I love Rebecca's referral that 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 intersection of business and emotion. I mean, never before have we seen that. I mean, Andy, what 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 were some of your thoughts in terms of the role of accountants and and advisors more generally? Well, what we saw was a, a huge amount of uh, collaboration because it became a period of time where. Like you couldn't have paid me enough to be an accountant throughout COVID because all of a sudden, you know, you've got enough work with the with the standard practice and and seeing your clients as you've as per normal, and you've got all of your systems and processes that you know when operating well, you're a slick machine. And and COVID just took that and turned it on its head completely. You know, nothing was going to be normal, and it was a changing landscape of operations, how to track JobKeeper, everything was changing and. So what we saw on our side was we saw a lot more collaborative efforts and that was something that, that we also jumped on because working with business owners, there was fear was number one and yep. fear, as we know, can, can produce paralysis. And then there was complexity and lack of direction from, from government uh, and policies that were being made. And I'm not, I'm not going to hammer them about it because they're in a tough position, but when you put yourself in a business owner's shoes who are maybe just struggling to manage their business as it is. And then there's all of this legislation, my employees, so on and so forth. So we adopted with our business partners uh, very quickly to just, I guess, not worry about compliance so much and go, okay, if we make some mistakes and we're out in the live environment, uh, then so be it, we'll, we'll ask for forgiveness. But we just jumped on the front foot and started communicating with our business partners to all uh, of our community and their friends and partners through social channels, just deciphering the information that was coming out and trying to give them some confidence and some certainty in a period of time that was was so disruptive and, and full of fear and uncertainty. Uh, so you're all hit on a lot of common themes around, you know, the human element of the industry that we're in around accounting and advice. It comes back to dealing with people. I do want to go into the services bit. And Daniel, a key area that you and I spoke off air about was that accounts and advisors can become the window to the holistic services that their clients need. It'd be great if you could elaborate a little bit on that for our audience. Yeah, look, um, and it's interesting that I think there's also been a shift in the way that accountants see themselves. Like traditionally, the accountant would probably see themselves as the person that someone would go to at the end of the year, come with that all that information, process the returns, process whatever it may be, dealing genuinely, you know, generally with historical stuff. But um, like what 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 I've really seen take place from so going back to the service perspective, Chris, is that what you want me to comment on? Yeah. Yeah, the holistic service element of what the clients need. Yeah, look, I've heard of one accounting firm in Melbourne, and um, I've actually been pushing this for for quite a while. I've I've spoken to accounts about the idea of getting people like a data scientist in the business, or people like or getting people like marketers in the business. But what I'm starting to see is that the accountants really is a window into a whole heap of range of services. And I'm I know of one accountant in Melbourne, and he's a very well known accountant who's set up an office and he's set it up in a warehouse. But as you go into that warehouse, you haven't just got the accounting practice in there. You've got all the other services available within that premises that the client can then be referred to. And effectively, that accounting office becomes a one-stop shop for their clients, right? So... You know, going back to the accountant, you're more—it's more than just an accountant. They—they—they they, 
they depend on the account for so much more than just the numbers. And as accountants, positioning yourselves as really strong alliances to be able to provide holistic solutions. And, you know, we, we often think holistic being marketing or being, you know, finances and loans, but there's also things around health and mental well-being. There's so many other things. Yeah. An accountant is positioned beautifully as a window into a, a real broad range of services that their clients need. Yeah. I mean, Andy, you, you act a bit like a quarterback, really, in coordinating services needed by business owners. So I mean, where do you think are the biggest areas where they need help? Well, I, I think number one is education uh, in that 90% of business owners in that two to 50 million space just don't understand their basic numbers, their basic business metrics. And, and one of the biggest challenges that I see with business owners is the lack of understanding of what the role of the accountant is from the perspective of the business owner. There quite often seems to be an understanding from the business owner that the accountant is going to be providing a whole raft of services, kind of what uh, Daniel was talking about, but you know, management accounting, it, keeping track of their banking, keeping track of their ability to achieve finance, all of these things. So the business owners kind of go in unaware, but have this expectation on the accountant, which is unsaid, unrealistic and, and not actually quoted. So I think that the number one thing is that business owners need to become educated in the things that they need to take responsibility for, because I don't believe that you can truly outsource all of the responsibilities financially to accountants, advisors, brokers, I think that fundamentally you have to have an understanding of it yourself. Um, and you know, as a CEO of, of many uh, medium businesses over the time that uh, you've got to understand what's going on from the CFO. You can't just allow that conversation to happen in isolation of how you're running your business. And so I think number one is the education. And then that provides a platform of understanding of how then they can use their team of advisors in order to be able to, to strategically work in the direction that they need to from a business and a personal perspective. Yeah, that's good. And Rebecca, I mean, Business Depot is one of the leaders in holistic services across Australia to businesses. And you sort of touched on this before. So, I mean, why do you think it's so important to go beyond just the numbers? Um, because we are the place that people trust. This is where our clients come to. And if we can work with them in a more forward thinking way, um, and to Andy's point about the education, really let them know that we can help with everything. They will come to us before they make the bad decision or the rash decision. They will get the information they need. And COVID was really interesting from that point of view as well, because we've always been about educating our clients, but potentially have done a little bit too much of it over the years on a one-to-one -one basis. We needed to keep our clients well educated during COVID. There was so much information coming out from the government and we really um, used our internal marketing team, which is also an external resource, to um, hone on that one-to-many education. So out of Business Depot ourselves, we ran so many webinars um, and they weren't all just about the, the taxes. It was around, um, you know, cutting expenses in your business, negotiating rent. We got the legal team involved. We got the marketing team involved to talk to people about how to move online with your services. We went through every, every service we have in the business and ran series of educational webinars and we did them all the time. We had a big day as well. And that was... 
these were all free. And we had people in the business, outside of the business, other accountants, we had everybody jumping on these. And that education piece became really important. And I think if you see that it comes from an accountant, because we take our responsibilities so seriously, you can rely on the information that you're going to get from them. Uh, We're not going to go out there and just sell something as real, true education and information for you um, to implement in your business. So that was a bit of a point of difference. And it's important for us now to keep that going which is something Bruce brought up in the interview that you had with him was to not just um, drop the thing to change, but to continue with them. And we've continued to run those series and we're actually doing a wealth one now all about what you didn't learn in school about um, your finances. And that's been a great series. It's wonderful. We've got all the financial planners on. It's fantastic. That's excellent. And some great examples. I'm going to stay with you, but this is something that Daniel's touched on a little bit before. You know, it's been really interesting in my prosperity as we've seen some accounts and advice firms grow significantly in 2021. The good ones seem to be generating heaps of new referrals. And why do you think that is? I think um, people have started to take a better look at their finances for the first time ever um, or for the first time in a long time. We had a rocky year for investments, some skyrocketed, particularly around property and things, especially in Sydney. And then the stock market had um, some shocks over and over again and continued to. So people paying more attention to what's going on with their money and they're more concerned about, you know, um, their spending habits and building for the future and making sure that they can retire and making sure that they can afford things for their children. All these things become have become a bigger concern and insurance has become a huge concern as well. Am I properly insured? You know, so this is risk mitigation now, and this is all financial planning information. And, you know, it's um, things we've been talking about and, you know, carrying on about for years, but it took a pandemic for people to stop and think, oh, it's not good times all the time. What do I need to do to make sure that I'm safe under all circumstances? And that's been the difference here. Yeah, good answer. And I think, Andy, you would have seen some of this. I mean, the the good firms, you know, getting referrals, um, what, what do you put it down to? Mate, I think over the last 12 months has definitely been the communication piece and, and what Beck's been doing and, and, and the great advisory firms out there. And I, and I think that we're all advisory firms, but, uh, but again, that, that collaborative piece, because when, when that fear hit and when the legislation started dropping, people actually started understanding the co-relationship between accounting, advice, risk um, and lending. Because and then leases, so you had this perfect raft of legislation drop that you couldn't specifically go to an accountant or a specific advisor, or you actually needed everybody's take across the board in order to be able to negotiate uh, what was happening to probably fifty percent of the businesses across Australia. And I think that there was a huge amount of um, trust that was won through groups who were proactive, got on that front foot, and just gave the information out free. Uh, and, you know, as much as I, th- I think on our, our side of the equation, it was as much us talking through it, but having a crowd listening that was helping us also understand it, if that makes sense. But I think that openness of communication, like we'd never seen before, I think that really consolidated relationships and the people who, I guess, were on the front foot of that, I saw a lot of firms actually out there in advance saying, we're not going to be able to manage this one-on-one. We're literally not going to be able to manage this. We're going to be talking with you in bulk. And this is what we need you to do in order for us to be able to service you better, which was an incredible step towards that more professional type of model rather than 
as Rebecca was talking about that that sort of one-on-one now people were far more open to having it as a, a collaboration or an audience and then filter the way that they communicate with you in order to get the best result yeah. uh, and I think that firms that nailed that will have clients spilling over for life and and we're seeing the results of that with our business partners ourselves you know right across the board Terrific. Daniel anything you'd add to that you know, I'd probably add this to it, right? And um, being in the industry for quite a, quite, quite a while, it'd be amazing to see accountants and planners work closer together and better together. And there's always seems to be this rift between the two, often driven by different motives. But imagine being able to collaborate properly, holistically deal with a client and the client having the confidence to come in through the doors and have that same level of trust and engagement across both to ensure that their well-being is looked after especially financially. I'd just love to see more of that, but it's a shame that it doesn't happen. Well, hopefully it's changing, but it's a good point. And I think that sort of collaboration becomes key. Um, shift gears a little bit. Bruce talked about the importance of tech. We're all involved in it. Tech in driving the success of small businesses in Australia. It's obviously something we're all super passionate about and certainly my prosperity. I'd love to get your thoughts on that from a technology standpoint. Perhaps start with you, Andy. Oh, wow. Uh, well, it'd be obvious to go to the tech people, but I'll start with you. <laughs> Look, I mean, you know that I, I love that sort of side of the equation and, and we're, we're only a, a small business um, and we, we adopt it in every area. My fundamental belief to what Daniel was saying is that the, the role of an advisor is a specialist generalist uh, and then you need specialists around in order to fill the gap. And for a long period of time, there's been this, these concrete walls that have been built up that don't serve the clients at any stretch of the imagination. The best advice is where you have um, egos set aside and you have the collaboration like a family office and, uh, and everybody sits in their position and provides the best advice for clients. And, you know, the, tech, the technology in and around that collaboration is something that, you know, we're very, very focused on. Uh, we've used platforms like Google Meets, we're using My Prosperity Rooms uh, in order to bring people into the center space to force conversations for clients to be collaborative uh, and, you know, be able to use the technology to, to get everybody's efficiency into the same place. Because the biggest uh, friction point in the industry for small businesses and for clients is every time... Almost, almost started swearing. The is is the collaboration uh, that relates to the information, and it's it's it, it blows my mind for the accountant to gather the information, and then that has to be re-gathered by the client to go to the broker, and then re-gathered by the client to and it and it's this perpet and it just makes everything difficult, and it just doesn't need to be. And the part of the reason is us, right? And we need to learn how to play in the sandpit well with each other. But part of it has also been the missing technology of how the technologies talk with each other. Uh, and so one of the areas of growth that we're really excited about and we're focused on is everything collaboration based. So how do we get information in once and once only? And then how do we share that across all platforms in a way that can make the ease of transaction with the, the end user being the our business owner clients so that they can have a 10-minute conversation, not a 45-minute conversation with the solicitor. A, a five-minute conversation with us as the advisor, make things really sharp. You deal with live data and deal right across the board and everybody sticks to their knitting. And all technology that, uh, that sits in that game, we're focused on video, um, 
programs, uh, video programs for our clients, collaboration spaces, my prosperity, all of those sorts of things to try and create that more symbiotic approach. That's great. That, that's a practitioner's view. And obviously, I mean, Rebecca, you, you're both <laughs> technologists. Can we get your, your view on, on, on the role of tech in, in driving the success of small business? So from, the, um, from an accountant's point of view, we have to use tech in two ways. So it's in our own businesses. So we've got this practice management tech suite that we need to implement. And it's so important for an accountant to do that because our time is valuable. Even when you fix fee bill, technically we're still time billing because it's only us we have to sell. So we need to make sure we're consistently having the most effective use of our time to you know, be profitable and also serve our clients well. So technology gets rid of all that monotonous stuff nobody wants to do anymore. It protects us. It makes sure things keep on happening when we're sleeping and you know that whole removal of any duplication and double handling. But the important, really important part of tech comes in the client facing app stacks that we need to use so that's getting information to our clients and sharing it with our clients so that we're all on the same page at the same time we can give them real information in real time to make real decisions so they're not heading down the wrong path because their information's 12 months out of date and that's what really changes relationships and what tech can really bring to this is it's you know it's information it's being informed it's being educated exactly what Andy said it's all about collaboration so being in the same place at the same time, regardless of what it is that you're discussing, it's all the same data. And that's where we need to come to. And um, that changes the relationship and it changes the business and makes everybody a lot more profitable in the end, hopefully. Yeah, fantastic. Daniel, I'm sure you've got something to say on this subject. Yeah, look, I've loved what both Andy and Rebecca have said. And, um, you know, I support and back that 100%. But what, one of the things that, you know, being the technology space, we're in the SMSF and corporate compliance space and investment register space. But I see I see a couple of things. Um, insofar as cloud, you know, there's so much talk about automation. And we know that automation is a given of cloud. We know that. But what I've really seen take place is that technology has become a great enabler right and what i mean that is it enables great conversations it enables you to build better relationships with your clients it enables you to see exactly what's going on within your clients data and information to then better engage with them so it's not just an enabler it's a great tool for engagement and then i like to add to that the word possibility right because it opens up conversations of possibility of where to how to how do we get from here to here? And like, I just look at some of the stuff that we've built in Simple Fund 360. And I often use this example of, you know, especially at this time of year where clients like to know where clients' minimum pensions are at, for example. In the past, and I know, Rebecca, that you can vouch for me here, to get to the point of understanding what the minimum pensions were at any particular point in time was a nightmare of an exercise. Literally in Simple Fund 360, I can get into that data, get through the filters and extract that information within two or three seconds. It actually takes longer for me to find the, the, the option on the left-hand side of, of the screen than it does to actually extract the data. So I just see software and the automation within it as an enabler and an engager and then something that opens up possibility for your clients. And I, that's why I love technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think you guys have hit on a couple of things. We often talk about technology to help with efficiency, uh, technology to help with the client you know, front-end or experience. The, the two actually inextricably linked in my view because you know when you're dealing with an accountant or an advisor that has tech, it's a great experience, you know. So the two go hand in hand. I think you guys really unpacked that nicely. I just want to finish on something as we come to the end of a pretty crazy 
21 financial year. It'd be great to get some key themes you plan on taking into FY22. Um, Daniel, I'll start with you. Sorry, what was that? I missed the question, Chris. The, um, we're coming to a pretty crazy end of 21 financial year. It would be great just to get some key themes that you plan on taking into the next financial year, 22. Mate, we've got a massive challenge, right? <laughs> and I, I smile when I, when, I, when I look at the possibility here, but we've still got a lot of clients on desktop software. And it's actually incredible how many people are on desktop software and reverting to things like, you know, you know, just remote logins and all this type of stuff to get their data. And a lot of people are still manually processed. So for us, it's a, a migration, education, positioning, transitioning process that we've got to take our clients through that, you know, what ends up happening in our space is that the, the focus is always the price, but just because something costs you less doesn't mean, or is priceless, doesn't mean that it costs you less. So we, we've got a great challenge ahead of us, which we're doing really well in, and that is moving clients across. And then the big thing for us is really within our software, it's so feature rich. How do we get more of our clients to embrace more of the technology, embrace more of what's in there and absolutely fully utilise that which is available to them? So we've got an, an amazing, I mean, and, and also got New Zealand, Singapore, this type of things going on, but I'm always smiling, Chris, at the possibility yeah. of what's in this. I know you are. You're, you're on a mission to tech enable the whole industry. Get, get into the cloud. Come on. Where the, only the only thing I can't tech enable is salami making. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to. Hey, no. <laughs> let's hear from you. Um, you know, so FY twenty two, the focus going forward. I think the focus for us is to make sure we don't get you know complacent. Um, and we've come out of a really tough period, and we still dip in and out of it every now and then. But when you when we come back out of it, you see it every day. You become really complacent. So we've built these really great relationships with our clients again, made them stronger, educated them. Let's not get complacent. Let's make sure we keep doing it. So um, you know, pushing through with our webinars, even though there's not a crisis, let's keep educating. Make yep. sure that when we're talking to our clients, we did this great work with them last year. We worked with almost every client every month. Let's sell that as a proper service. Let's get engaged on it. Let's grow our revenue. Let's keep doing that. So it's this don't stop what we did um, last year. Keep doing it. Let's keep on growing, keep on building these great things. So it's just making sure we don't get complacent, really. Yeah, love it. That's great. Keep doing the good things that we learned last year in tough times, right? Uh, and Andy, from you. Mate, uh, the key themes for us is to continue on the, the innovation wagon, collaboration wagon and education wagon. Um, much the same as what Rebecca was saying. We've just got to make sure that we don't step back to where we were beforehand. And the, the example that I use is when we did go to doing lives every uh, Friday, which was dangerous because we were having a bottle of wine most Fridays uh, during the Wealth, Wine and Wisdom show. Uh, often more wine than there was uh, wisdom, but um, is is to not step back and go in, well, it's easy to not run that show anymore, uh, but to stay in that and go, well, actually, this is now part of the business. This is an innovation that is now a constant in the business. We're going to be sharing information because if we take that backward step, I, and if all of us take that backward step, it actually allows regulation to breed that fear again. And I think that it's been a really healthy push forward because advisors, accountants, uh, lawyers, everybody's been bombarding social with commentary about what's been going on. And that's wonderful because that was enabling legislation and enabling businesses to get forward. forward. And it was enabling the betterment for, for all parties, 
politics, businesses, regulators, the full box and dice. And I think that if we, as a, as, as a community, if we let that slip now, then there's a lot of ground, uh, good ground that we've broken that we'll lose. So maintaining that education piece is key, making it social and trying to make it fun and simplifying everything that's out there now, because we do have the technology, we do have the capabilities. It's now our job to simplify it in a way that business owners can see that it's not so scary. And it's something that heaven forbid, we might even be able to have a little bit of fun with and, uh, and make it super, super simple as, as we can. So keep innovating on your side, mate, and we'll keep using what you guys do and try and make it easier for our clients and, and then make it harder for BS and complexity to come in. And, uh, and I think that then, you know, as a, as a community, we'll all start to rise to a new level of how we operate with each other. And I think more profitably, more sustainably, and, uh, and then build a good small to medium business community. Because if you have a look at our business community, small to medium in comparison to the US and Europe, we've got small business and then we've got large business and our medium business is almost non-existent. And I think that uh, if we slow down on our innovation, education, collaboration, then that will remain the case. But if we maintain where we're at, I reckon we've got a real possibility of actually growing that medium-sized business segment of Australia. And uh, to me, that's pretty exciting. It's damn hard work. But, uh... That's great. Well, guys, I think it's been fantastic today. Um, this World Credit episode, I've obviously been joined by Daniel Tramontana um, from BGL, had Rebecca Mihalik from, um, from Business Depot and Practice Ignition, and Andy Penton uh, from Penton Financial. Guys, some really great themes there that you've helped unpack following the Bruce Wilson interview. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the big takeaway for me is that we're an industry that has gone through, you know, um, a bit of a shakeup last year. There is now a self-awareness across all of us in terms of what this industry means to small business and what it can achieve. And, you know, just a huge thanks for sharing some of your thoughts with us today. So thank you.